right, well, this morning we are looking at Revelation 22. And the title of the message is, Jesus is Coming, How Will You Welcome Him? <laughs> How will you welcome him? Now, we've heard, hopefully you've heard about the coming of Christ. He returned, the trump of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise, and we which are alive and remain shall meet him in the air. And kind of going along with our song, you know, we will rise when he calls our name. So that's kind of the theme of what we're looking forward to when Jesus returns and the dead in Christ, and he, we go to meet him in the air. The trump of God shall sound. So the shout of the angel. So all that takes place. But that's what's in our immediate future. But if you read through to the end of the book of Revelation, it is Revelation 22. And Revelation 22 is an epilogue. It is the drawing to a close, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 21. Now, there's a lot of things that happen in the book of Revelation between uh, the beginning that is started there in Revelation 1 and Revelation 22. There's a whole myriad of um, events that take place, and we've studied um, that in our Wednesday night, and maybe we'll study it again. There's so much to try to comprehend and understand about the end times, and I think that we are in those end times, but... Um, whether or not Jesus returns today or 10 years from today or 100 years from today, he's still coming back. And uh, what we have at the end of the book of Revelation in, in chapter 22 is kind of like the, if someone were giving to you their last will and testament, okay, uh, what would they conclude with? If you were giving someone their last will and testament, what would you conclude with? What would you want them to know? And of all the things that take place in the book of Revelation, these, this is kind of like that epilogue, that last, you know, of all the things Jesus has said and done, the Gospels, the, you know, the, the letters that were written, the things that go on in, uh, in, in the in New Testament, we have here the drawing to a conclusion of, of all of those things beginning at verse 12. Revelation 22, 12. And he says, look, this is Jesus speaking, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Now, I'm going to read that in the Message Bible. It says, and behold, I, Jesus Christ, come quickly to judge the world, and my reward, both of grace and vengeance, is with me. The reward which I shall assign both to the righteous and the wicked shall be conferred at my coming to give every man according to his work, his spirit and conduct, his whole inward and outward behavior. Now, sometimes when we're you know, in our discussions and discussions with people and so on about our society and so on, it's like we operate without a conscience. People, they don't have someone to be accountable to. So therefore, their actions kind of speak to that end, that it's all about me and what I can get and all those types of things. And so there's no accountability. And um, <laughs> speak about uh, people, um, you know, uh, I remember a person that I counseled years ago that he, he, had, he had no remorse for his actions. You know, he had molested his wife's daughters, and um, he, he had no sorrow for what he did. The only reason he came to counseling was because his wife said he had to. <laughs> you 
And so he wanted to keep on good terms with her, I guess, and he came. But um, I, I think I've said it before, he's the only person that ever got me to get out of my chair, <laughs> and not in a good way. <laughs> and so I, I asked him to leave politely. And uh, because he was just putting in time. He didn't care what he had done. There was, you know, and he had no accountability for it. Well, Jesus is saying, my reward is with me, okay? I'm coming back, but I want you to know that there, there's a reward for the good and the bad, all right? Uh, we know in, um, what do we got here? In, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. And it's kind of like, I, I, I always refer to it, you know, been preaching for all these years, I, re I refer to many things. Um, the wages, people earn the right to go to hell. They've wa the wages of sin. Now, but God also says everyone has sinned. So the challenge then is, if everyone has sinned, we've earned wages, but what happens? The gift of God, the forgiveness of God is a gift of God, which gives to us eternal life. And so um, when Jesus is saying, I am coming quickly, he's saying that he is going to return, and when he returns, it's not going to be like, you got five minutes and the world is over. <laughs> you know, you, you, got, you got a half hour to get your life in order, and I'm, I'm coming back. No, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it's over. Faster than your brain can send a signal from your brain to your eyelid to, twink, to twinkle, to, <laughs> to blink, that's how quickly everything's changed. Jesus is coming back. So he is saying here in this section, I am coming back, and uh, there is going to be an, account, an accountability going on. That people who have lived their lives as if there was no, nothing out there, they're going to find that there is someone who is there. Now, one of the things we find going on in the scriptures is, God is not willing that any should perish. So it isn't like God is looking forward to the day that he can throw these people in hell. <laughs> no, God wants everyone to be saved, to be forgiven. The, the provision of Jesus on the cross is great enough that everyone who has ever lived and everyone who will ever live, if they would repent, his grace, his mercy, his blood of forgiveness can wash away all sin. So it's not God who is going to <laughs> separate people. It is the wages that people have earned and whether or not they've given their, their life to Christ. Paul borrowed from Isaiah when he says, uh, Isaiah 40.10, Whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. This is that accountability here at the end. And Galatians also says, God gives back to each one his work. So God knows what's going on. And, and so we go on. There is a time of reckoning. There is a time of accountability when God settles all accounts. Every person will be held accountable for their life for their life and their actions, their thoughts, their deeds. So the challenge is for us to recognize that there's an accountability, but we don't need, the book of Revelation is a book of hope. You see, that also talks about, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. So the whole, the challenge is there's an accountability, but I'm, I'm, I'm fixing my hope on Jesus Christ. And he has 
want, he wants to live in my heart and my life. He wants to be part of who I am. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In John 1, 1, the, I have a translation here, it's called the Aramaic Bible. It says, in the origin, the word had been existing. I like the phrase, before the beginning began, God is. <laughs> so before time was created, see, when creation came, that was the beginning of time. At the end of the book of Revelation, it's the end of time. So we have time sandwiched between eternity past and eternity future. And so when be before time began, God was and is and always has been. So the word had been existing with God. That word was himself God. So, so before creation, Jesus is. And one of the things to under understand is that Jesus, before there was creation, determined that he would be the sacrifice for human sin. You know... <coughs> It'd be, it would be good if, um, Jesus, why don't you just start all over again and forget the sin part? <laughs> you know, get rid of that sin from the very beginning. Get rid of the devil. You know, get rid of all that stuff. You know, we kicked him out of heaven. Why not just kick him to hell? All right, you know, seal it all up and let us alone from him. Well, and God does not create robots. He creates individuals with the ability to think and to reason, to put together spirituality drawn from the scriptures. Before the beginning began, God is, Isaiah 44, 6. Thus saith the Lord Jehovah, King of Israel. Now, remember, Jehovah is the King of Israel. God identified himself in these scriptures. And he did so as the King, as the Redeemer, as the Champion, and the Eternal One. So God presents himself here to Isaiah and Isaiah is presenting him to the, to the nation of Israel. He's, he's presenting him, this is the God Jehovah. All of those idols that you guys are trying to get caught up with, you know, Isaiah's, Isaiah's talking like that, you guys. And he, all you guys that are trying to get caught up with these idols, I want you to know they are nothing. They're just stone and wood. I am the eternal. And he goes on to say, um, I am the king of Israel and his savior, the Lord Jehovah, the host of hosts is his name. I am the first and I am the last and there is no God outside of me. And what does Jesus say? I am the Alpha and the Omega. So you see, Jesus is the God in Isaiah. He is God incarnate in, 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 uh, in the pre-times of the Old Testament. He appears. So he is warning us his warning, excuse me, verse chapter 22, verse 11, the warning has been given. His people who continue in sin, evil people will keep on being evil, and everyone who is dirty-minded will be still dirty-minded, but good people will keep on doing good, and God's people will always be holy. So it's, if you read that and you think, well, okay, there's no hope of change. No. It's just saying that without Christ, things don't change. We can, we can make up our mind to do something, and that's a good thing. You know, I, I like people who make up their mind. <laughs> you know, stubbornness is a gift. <laughs> I heard a few amens with that, uh, but uh, 
Stubbornness is not a gift. It is, you know, it is stubborn. So anyhow, people who continue in sin <laughs> bring to themselves the habit which makes character, which forms one's destiny. You see, habits are usually a way of behaving, so people have habits. You know, one book says if you want to create good habits, do something three times a day for 21 days, and you will have created a habit. Okay, so habits are things that we do, uh, a way of behaving, and character is the mental and moral qualities that distinguish us as individuals that are surrounded by our habits. Well, guess what? The moral laws set in motion whether they be sin or whether they be righteousness, is they set in, de they set in motion our destiny. <laughs> People think I am destined to this. Well, if you don't have the habits and the work ethics and the, and the thought life and all that, for that destiny, it's not happening. So the destiny is something that we put in the hands of God and we change our will to match the will of God allow God's influence of his word to affect our life and how we see ourselves and how we see life. So for God, his reward is no fantasy. <laughs> it's not a fantasy island. He, in in uh, John chapter 14, verse 2, this isn't a fantasy. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. You see, Jesus tells us I am going to prepare a place for you. And he also goes on to say, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back for you. <laughs> I'm not going to go prepare a place, and who is it that I'm supposed to go get? That's me. Whom <laughs> God, God doesn't have a memory issue. You know, I don't have a memory issue. I just can't remember. So <laughs> there's no issue. It just doesn't happen. So the challenge is that we recognize that God is preparing a place for each of us because he wants us to be there with him. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. For those who are hunted, I like that phrase. I always used it in the sense, for those who are haunted by their wickedness, the, when I read this phrase, I thought I was going to change it. And I thought, no, no, hunted. People are hunted by their own wrongdoings. And they're hunted by them. They're almost like it's chasing them down to kind of like the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's like the nippy little dog that's always biting your heels, you know, are hunted by, as soon as you think you're over it, that little mutt comes up and nips at your heel. You know, and so we need to recognize that being hunted by wickedness is something that God can break. He breaks the power of canceled sin. So when sin is forgiven, it is canceled, and its power over our life, the dog's gone. <laughs> okay? It's not going to nip at my heels anymore. The dog is gone. Deuteronomy 33, 27, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. You see... All of the laws are there, the Old Testament, but underneath all of those laws is the everlasting arms of God. So even though there were all these laws, God was looking at the hearts of man to bring them into a relationship with him in which their sacrifices and the keeping of the laws would be part of their character, which would form their destiny which would bring them about being part of God's family and God's children and the mission for which he had called them. 
So verse 13, as we read, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Then we go to verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. So Jesus is telling us this. Blessed are those who wash their robes. The idea is that we wash our garments, our life, in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that his blood washes away all stains, washes away all sin. Though your sins be red like scarlet, they shall be as white as wool. So all of them are gone. They're taken away. Uh, blessed are they who do his commandments. In this is the, this is the two verses that kind of got me going on this whole message. And paradise lost is Genesis 3.24. So God drove man out, and east of the Garden of Eden, he permanently stationed a cherubim and the sword with the flashing blade which turned round about in every direction to protect and guard the way, the entrance to the tree of life. So we have the tree of life mentioned in Genesis. Then we have, that's paradise lost, <laughs> Eden lost, then we have paradise restored, Revelation twenty two fourteen. Blessed, happy, prosperous are those who wash their robes in the blood of Christ by believing and trusting in him. The righteous who do his commandments so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. The tree of life in Genesis is lost. The tree of life in Revelation is restored. Same tree. God, <laughs> the difference is, in Genesis, evil was present. In Revelation, evil is gone. <laughs> Forever. Hey, yes, amen. <laughs> He's gone. He's done away. He's thrown into the eternal fire. He no longer can tempt us. He can no longer be the tempter. And then verse 15, I'll, I, I, this is one of those verses also. Outside the city gates are the dogs. <laughs> those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. The dogs outside the gate. Well, we who are in a Western culture, Western society, don't understand what this really means. In the Eastern culture, troops of hungry, semi-wild dogs used to wander about the fields and streets of the city, devouring dead bodies and other refuse, garbage or anything dead or decaying. So dogs became such an object of disdain that fierce and cruel enemies are vividly referred to as dogs. <laughs> those who are the enemies of righteousness, those who are the enemies of God, are referred to as dogs without the city. They never can enter the city because of who they are, what they are. And dogs in this society, is, they are considered unclean. And the, the dogs that refer to in Revelation are those who practice magic arts, sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves practices falsehood. Those are the dogs that have no entrance. So remember, these are the words of Jesus and his last words to us that we have recorded by John. Jesus is the author, John is the recorder, okay? So Jesus is speaking these words to us, and verse 16 says, 
I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you the testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus is now, you know, pulling this together, and he's wanting everyone to know the prophecies of the Old Testament, that they are they're talking about me. And, and whenever we are looking at the light of the New Testament and the resurrection of the dead, this is me. This is the same guy. You see, it's important for us to know Jesus didn't just show up. You know, he didn't show up and claim to be God. You know, we have Buddha, Mohammed, and those guys. They show up and they have, you know, their teachings and so on, and people say they are, you know, what their belief system. But Jesus was foretold in the Old Testament, you know, and from the very beginning in, re- in, in the garden. He he's, you know, talks about a redeemer, one who will crush Satan's head. And in all through the Old Testament into the New Testament where Christ is born and Bethlehem and born of a virgin, all these things are part of the prophecies. The warning of verse 15 where the dog's outside the city is followed by the voice of the Lord Jesus himself testifying to the truth of the revelation. It is I, Christ, that am speaking to you. (laughs) I, Jesus, testify to these things to the churches. (laughs) It was already stated that Christ is the root and the pledge of all hope. He's also, but it is not merely a message or the confirmation of a message that we have Jesus declares here that he is the fulfillment. I am the root and the offspring of David. He is David's Lord, and yet he is David's son. As God, he is the root, he is the source. As a man, he is the offspring of David. As creator, Jesus existed long before David. As a human, he came from the lineage of David. We have Mary and Joseph, and we have their lineage, and they are of the house and the lineage of David. But we find that Jesus is the light of salvation who has come to make his presence and his will known, and he was here far before, before the beginning began. Jesus is there. Before creation, he is the sacrifice for the sin of mankind. It isn't something that caught God off guard. He knew what was coming. And he knew the penalty for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So Jesus says, I'll pay that. Verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. So Jesus is letting us know that the Holy Spirit, the bride of Christ. Who's the bride of Christ? You. The believers are the bride of Jesus Christ. And the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who thirsts, who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, let him come. So all of these are invitations. God is not willing that any should perish. He continues to offer us invitations. Jesus himself says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. The church of Jesus Christ, we're living in this world, and the world is getting (laughs) out of sorts, and we recognize that God is saying, and we are saying in our spirits, Jesus, come. 
The bride, the church, is waiting for the bridegroom. Come. So this is the close of the great revelation, verses 17 to 21. And it is full of the words that Jesus has spoken. The river of water of life has been flowing from the very first chapter in Genesis, where the water flowed through the garden. And now it flows in, in, in Revelation for the eternal joy. It flows from the throne of God. The river which Christ proclaims should flow from all who believe in him. Out of my innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. You see, these thoughts and these symbols are, are, are spoken of throughout the New Testament and throughout the teaching of Jesus and now throughout in the book of Revelation at the very end that there is a, li there is a river who makes um, glad the heart of God and his people. And it is a river of life and there is the tree of life that is there again set up for us in the book of Revelation. And Jesus, on that last day of the feast, when he stood and cried, he says, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Like the woman at the well. You drink of this water, you'll be thirsty again. But if you drink of the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. We see how the things begin to tie together. We see how Jesus is helping us to understand that when it's all said and done, he's still here. He's still with us. And whether we live or whether we die, we spoke of this, I think, on, on Wednesday night, whether we live or whether we die, we belong to God. Whether we're in trials or out of trials, we belong to God. Whether we're in the midst of trials or happiness and the joy of God is our strength, God is with us. We are to drink of the water of life. Verse 18. And I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. You see, the scriptures are sacred. Now, we struggle sometimes with interpretations. We struggle sometimes with translations. We struggle with these things. But we have to understand to interpret the scriptures in the context of the scriptures. We have to understand it that what is the, you know, people who find these truths, so to speak, one time in the scripture and take it out of context of the rest, they're going to find, <laughs> well, they're not going to find the truth that they were looking for. God shall take away their portion of the tree of life. And then verse 19, and if anyone takes words away, putting them in, taking them out, God is saying it can't happen. And then finally, verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, I am coming soon. The one who testifies is none other than Jesus himself. He testifies to the things that he wants to speak to us. In verse 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. The benediction. Jesus is saying to us at the very benediction, my grace is sufficient. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Grace is unmerited favor. My unmerited favor is with each of you. <laughs> so the Bible opened in a paradise in the garden, but there is one distinction from the Genesis 
and the revelation, evil is gone. Genesis has Adam and Eve walking and talking with God. Revelation describes people who worship God face to face. So Genesis, we're walking with God. Revelation, we're worshiping God face to face. Genesis describes a garden with wicked and evil serpent. Revelation describes a perfect city with no evil. It's all cast into hell. The, the Garden of Eden was destroyed by sin, but paradise is a recreation of the new Jerusalem. The book of Revelation er, ends with an urgent message. What is the urgent message? Come, Lord Jesus, come. <laughs> That's the message. Evil will not last forever. So what we studied in Sunday school, look through the difficulties. See beyond them. Don't be like the two on the road to Emmaus didn't see Jesus walking with them. So allow the word of God to speak to us. Allow Jesus to walk with us. And the revelation depicts the wonderful world and a wonderful reward that is awaiting all believers in Christ. And so our final declaration is, come, Lord Jesus, come. That's his last word to us. That should be our heart's cry. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen? Let's stand, shall we? <laughs> come, Lord Jesus, come. A declaration. The last words that Jesus spoke to John, that, we, that John now speaks to us. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that you place within our heart. And Lord, as we look through these few verses and all the implications and some of the implications that are brought out before us, may we see the truth of your word, that it speaks to us of life, of forgiveness, of restoration, of a hope that is eternal. God, thank you for what, such wonderful blessings, such a wonderful expectation. May we see you walking with us. May we sense your spirit walking with us and your word speaking to us to bring comfort and peace. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and we ask you, Lord, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Amen. God bless you.